The first thing I'm going to do is play this flute, kind of agitate things a little bit, try and get it moving a little bit so I can see what's here. This is drawing a spirit down into the cell. It's not the question the sorcerers killed. They've done a lot of incredible work out there over the last couple millennia. Fade away as you focus. Greetings. This is CMN. All right, uh, welcome back, everybody. It's suspicious marsupial Kennedy here, and this is Chaos Magic News. Today we have a really great interview. Another friend of the show and. Sorcerer Tal is our guest today. He's been a professional sorcerer for 20 years. He has spent a lifetime studying magic by the fine art of fucking around and finding out. <laughs> Tal began his mostly on the work of his great-grandfather, who was a Manitou and a Medouin, um, if I, I'm pronouncing those correctly. I'm... I'm I'm uh, book educated, so you know that's always a fun experience when you're like I've only seen this word written, so I don't know if I'm saying it right. But um, he has since branched out into chaos magic, rune, and sigil-based divination has been a big thing of his. He spent recent years also forming and publishing under the Sorcerers Guild. Tal's current focus has been self-described as returning this reality to a proper balance and helping bring about a more magical world well hey tal how the hell you doing man i'm doing pretty good 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 appreciate having you on so most of our interviews i've been kicking off with this question so might as well ask you as well right um why should you care about chaos magic like why is it actually important today at all uh well to me it's the most effective form of magic i mean magic yeah there's a lot of spiritual and philosophical components but in the end it's it's to accomplish a goal and chaos magic is the path that is most directed towards that we're actually you know let intention let uh i almost said let intention be your guide let results be your guide you know it's our one of our what one of our oldest maxims and that's what drew me to chaos magic in the first place was it was a type of magic that's actually trying to get something done rather than forming yourself into that this or forming yourself into that you're actually trying to accomplish a direct goal and trying to figure out how to make it so that you can accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish yeah yeah i think a lot of us are especially if you have any sort of previous magical background at all i think a lot of us get drawn to chaos magic on the simple basis of like well, you know, I've, you know, I, I've been doing the Golden Dawn thing forever and I feel pretty well adjusted, but you know what I really need is a Bugatti, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. even, even if it's not, you know, that materialistic, but you know, a, a lot of us are drawn to it because it's such a pragmatic sort of thing. You know, we're really focused on like, well, if, you know, the, the, the best test of anything is just, is it's actually going to work, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a better system than chaos magic at least as far as options you know the entire idea is like if it'll work you can do it so it really frees you up to not really be so concerned about what you're doing just the fact that you're doing something i think what i want to start with is you know i I talked about your great grandfather in your background um what can you explain expand upon a little bit of that like what exactly were the kind of things you were exposed to when you first started 
seeing his work and what kind of drew you into actually practicing yourself? Okay. Um, well, first, to be clear, I've never actually met the man. He died a little bit before I was born. So everything's kind of secondhand. Right. But before, like long before I was born, um, my father was told that his firstborn son would be the next Manitou. And that was me. So, and then, well, my, my birth was a little odd. I was born with two placentas, but that's just, that's the marker so that every, the, they bothered to tell the, that I was the one, you know, they actually thought, hey, you're supposed to be this and you got the markers, so here you are. Um, so for me, it's a lot of stories passed down to me from my uncles or my nanny, which is what I call my grandmother, obviously his daughter. And they would tell me about stuff that, that he would do and then, I would go out on my own and experience these things. They was, it was a lot of, even then they were forcing me to fuck around <laughs> and find like, they take me out into the woods and spin me in a circle with a blindfold on and leave me and then leave me there to meditate and think about stuff and, and find my way back to camp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Hey, some of my best teachers have been people that have just been not even trying to get me to um learn anything specific but just being like putting me in a position where it's like you're going to learn now have have fun good luck yeah exactly and then there were stories of course you know they told me myths and stuff like that um i had one more thing i wanted to say along along that um uh, when i was 15 and this was like kind of a culmination moment where i decided where i finally understood that it was time for me to reach out into other paths and begin learning other things was um it's like kind of a moment of i guess it was a rite of passage and they did one of these things where they took me out into the woods and i had i couldn't come back till i found my symbol so i'm out there looking around and i found this tree and i was like well i'm out here well while i'm out here i'm gonna get firewood because there's this whole tree that's dead and I reached up and I broke a branch off. And when I did, the whole tree just came right down into like a pile. Oh, wow. And like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, well, this is the thing. <laughs> that's what I'm supposed, that's what I'm here for. So I take this wood back and it's all dead. And my, my father and my uncle are there. And they tell me that this is the symbol that I am supposed to go into the future. Like this is all the things from the past and they are, they are there for me to use, but they are dead. They, that time is over. Those things are to be burned, and I don't, so that I can continue with my future. I continue with my future, because my past does not belong to the past. My past belongs to the future, and that's when I began. And not long after is when I started getting into chaos magic. Wow, that's that's really powerful and wiggy. I. I... I, I, I wish I had a initiatory experience as um, laid out as that. But um, um, I guess for those of us that don't actually know, what is a Manitou? Just so we can lay that out as well. Okay. Well, the word Manitou has several meanings. It's an Ojibwe word. That's what my great-grandfather was, was he was a, an Ojibwe. He was actually, well, they call him shamans, right? Right. It's another word for shaman in a way, but it's different. Because when you think of the word shaman, you're thinking more of a Medouin. You're thinking of someone that does healing magics and uh, does stuff for, does the rituals for the tribe and things like that. And that's actually a Medouin. A Manitou, 
and which is the only part I am. I am. I do not have any experience as a Meadowin whatsoever, just to be clear. Okay. Um, Manitou, the word means several things. It means mystery. It means spirit. It means a uh, turtle. But to be a Manitou is someone that is between the two worlds, which is a shaman as well. But we're between the two worlds in a more, um, it's more personal. Right. That's that's the part. That's why they put me out and didn't tell me things until after I had learned until after I'd learned certain lessons before they actually tell me how to, like, actually make something. Because there's the mystery involved. It's someone who is born inside into the mystery, essentially. And it translates better as sorcerer, which is why I call myself Sorcerer Tao. Ah, OK. I was I was actually going to get to that, but I'll ask now. Um. Because um, you have a book out right now published under the um, Sorcerer's Guild, right? You know, that's as the collective. Like, I think you said something to the effect of, like, I've written 90% of it. Yeah, I wrote and compiled most of the first one. Right, right, right. Um, And you make, you know, your your primary focus, and it seems to be, you know, what, I guess for, you know, lack of a better term, we call um, spellcraft, I think is the word that you use most of it, through most yeah. of it. Yeah, um, just, I guess what, be, you know, I'm, I'm sure others have used that term before, but I think you have pretty specific but flexible definitions of that all throughout the book. Um, what, what kind of inspired you to take on the term sorcery and spellcraft for what you're trying to do now, as opposed to, you know, another rehashing of like, oh, here's a, here's the more definitive guide to chaos magic or whatever other term you could come up with for it. Okay. Well, like I said, a big part of it is the fact that I feel that's the word that translates better for Manitou is sorcerer rather than shaman or something like that. But, um, oh, we're more talking about spellcraft. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. You're all right. Loosen the head today, apparently. Um, so anyways, the reason that I chose the word spellcraft is well because it's it's an art form that we're working with but also like when we're making crafts we're not just doing an art we're also following patterns right like when we're making a dream catcher or something or or some kind of craft we are in a way following a pattern some of them we, they even have instructions you know like if you go buy a craft from the store but we're putting ourselves into it we're putting our own thoughts into it and as you see in the book, I actually have developed a formula of what can, what makes the craft work. But it's not a pure science because you have to know how you're going to, what you're going to be able to do within it, where your skills are. So it's just the most practical word for it. It's the same reason I chose the word Sorcerer's Guild. Because to me, magic is, well, a skilled trade or a craft. Yeah, yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that. Um, I I think um anyone that knows me from any of my ramblings about magic thinks I'm really hard up on the term practice, because I don't particularly separate um magic from other practices we have in our various cultures in the world. You know, it's like I think I view the the best um metaphor for what magic is to me. I think comes from um. Uh, a book that Burt Dreyfus and Sean Kelly wrote called All Things Shining, 
where they talk about how practices reveal a world to us and they talk about um woodworkers you know in older times you know the just the just the skill of being able to work with wood allowed you to see things that normal people or everyday people weren't exactly privy to you know because you had just from yeah. looking at a piece like a you know a tree you know you could tell how the rain had been that season how the soil was in that area you could see what type of um just by seeing the wood itself without having to you know go through and test it yourself or anything you'd be understand what kind of things this could be useful for um and that's how that's where my position on magic has been for the last handful of years i feel like magic as a whole is about revealing things in the world through a different kind of lens you know we're really big on the word paradigm and chaos magic. So it's that sort of thing. You know, magic is mm-hmm. various paradigms and how they make the world intelligible. But um, to talk more about the Sorcerer's Guild, um, you started that uh, how many years ago now? I mean, it hasn't been super long, but it's been at least a good two, three years. Do you even remember? Um, I think it's been about eight years now. Actually. Really? Oh, my Lord. I have lost track of time. Oh yeah. Um, what actually inspired you to we were... go ahead? I was gonna say we were quite a bit smaller for for a long time. But anyways, right. To your question, I think uh, you were gonna ask me something along those lines. Oh so. yeah. Well, I was gonna say, um, what actually made you want to reach out and create something like that? Because it's um, you know, anyone that knows the group in and of itself, it's not your typical kind of magic group in a lot of ways you know there's not he said there's not a whole lot of focus on dogma you guys don't really tend to get together and have big discussions about like what the proper way to do anything is it's a lot more of you know a a group of people all doing their own sort of things and bouncing off each other more than anything but what made you want to you know um kind of uh formalize this and make it a place for people to learn about magic in general there are a few different factors. Um, part of it was accidental. I was uh, an admin for a very large group back in the day uh, called WME, and I had created the sor- I created the Sorcerers Guild then as a place for the admins oh. to get together and talk because we wanted somewhere to talk to where we could talk about the like the inner workings so we made our our little group and there was 12 of us for a long time oh wow and then um wme fell apart Mm. that that says well we don't need to get into the drama of everything that happened there that was a long time ago oh yeah but the group fell apart and so i decided well there's all these people i should open something up for them and we started getting more people in as this was happening i've mentioned you, you may have heard me mention the Horde or the Cosmic Collective a few times. Yeah. They began getting involved in it and because I had this influx of people and they were like, well, if you have all these perceptions coming towards you, this can be useful to, to, to our goals, which is at this point, like, like you mentioned earlier, we're trying to bring a better balance to this reality within the uh, three realms. We'll probably talk more about that later. But anyways... Um, so the reason that it is structured the way it is, is because, like I said, I think of it as a guild. I don't believe in the idea of authority. I'm certainly not the, uh, end all be all of any idea. I have no, uh, 
right to claim anything more than anyone else does. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, definitely. So, um, I mean, so you're, that, you definitely serve more of, you know, you're, I think I referred to you as the first among equals at one point there, where it's, you know, you, you the, the sway you have there is more from just being, you know, the, the general administrator of it and the fact that you're pretty well respected. I mean, I don't think anyone has many bad things to say about you there or elsewhere. You know, you're, you, you, you're, you're pretty consistently a very open-minded and helpful person when it comes to anyone talking about magic. Um, because we already brought up uh, the idea of bringing balance back to reality, I thought I'd ask you the big question of, you know, and of, especially for our audience, because they're people that I think really don't try to come up with a very quick and solid answer for um, the bigger questions of the world. But what what is reality, at least as far as you're concerned with bringing balance to it? Oh man, you can ask me the big question. I told, I, I, hey, I All mean, right. I gotta ask you. You're the one who said you're gonna bring balance to it, so you might might be able to tell us what yeah, it yeah. is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, reality, obviously, uh, a many faceted thing. But if we're gonna like try to nail it down, for me, reality is the where the interface of your inter your inner self and what you think is going on with the world meets the, what I refer to as the base reality. And that I can't, I, I can't tell you what the base reality is. Nobody can like the ultimate truth. If there is one, that's something nobody has ever touched. That is the nebulous untouchable center. But reality is where what we think we what we think is going interacts with what is going on okay and all right so how i'm trying what what i mean by bringing balance to this is that part that i claim nobody can touch <laughs> and nobody can know anything of i guess we're trying to move what isn't right but what it what i believe is, as far as that is that we have the three separate planes we have the uh astral plane which is the energy well actually it'd be easier to start at the uh at the mental plane okay so we have the mental plane which is thought that is the 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 process of information in transfer and the process of information in transfer as it transfers becomes energy which makes up the astral plane and as the astral plane moves around and the energy inside of it condenses into forms and concepts, we have the material plane. Now, currently, our reality, because of a, um, I don't know how else to put it, but an obsession with uh, personal, or um, a, an obsession with material gain and a desire to push us all into a conformity and monotheistic mindset, and the idea that magic does not exist and begin pulling our focus away from these other realms has caused us to be pulled too far down towards the material plane rather than in this like if you were to picture these three as a triangle we should be in the very middle of the triangle like a little circle in the very center of the triangle but instead we have been pulled very far towards one point and the goal is to help 
get people to begin focusing and realizing these other parts of their lives are there and are affecting them. So they need to get them into focus. And if we can all bring that back into focus, we get back into more into the center, become more aware of the magic, and then it has a, has a less subtle effect. Right, right. Okay. Um, I'm reminded of two things. I'm reminded of a, a Crowley quote that I'm probably going to mangle here, but it was something to the effect of, um, you're doing magic all the time anyway. So you, it's probably better that you're good at it than bad at it. Exactly. We exist in all three of those states at all times. We are always, I mean, when we go to sleep, our focus gets more on the astral or when we're thinking real heavy. But most of the time, we're in all three. We're just only really paying attention to one, which is absurd. And it's a very bad way to try and exist. Oh, right. Yeah. And that leads me to the other thing I was going to talk about. Um, uh, Weber has a, a concept about um, the world that he calls disenchantment. And it's about the um, shift into modernity. And I think he says it really takes off once industrialization happens. But it's about how um, man, for the most part, lived in a world that was haunted by like spirits and divinity and the sacred and the the further along we got into modernity when um you know modern rationalism kind of takes hold um the world becomes disenchanted yeah. and it starts stripping us of um meaning you know overall we start you know because you know like you said when you when the entire focus of your existence in your life is solely on you know, the material world itself, both in the, you know, um, not to get too political here, but, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. People know my opinions if they know me, um, you know, uh, in the sense of like how capitalism has ultimately dominated, you know, the planet and the sense of just, you know, in a, you know, again, a scientific rationalist quote unquote way of looking at the world, which is um, I've always found it interesting because, it has less to do, I think, with people's everyday life and more of, you know, again, like the acceptance of dogma, right? Because I think most people don't operate entirely rationally in their day-to-day -day interactions, and they don't think about the world in a way that's entirely rational to begin with. I, you know, I like uh, the the example I always use is um uh, people with microwaves because. I, I know there's a handful of people in my life that will tell you exactly how a microwave works, but I think most people don't even, when they're using it, they don't think about that at all. All they know is that they hit a button and then the food get hot. And it's, yeah. it, and so much of it is more of just the acceptance of, you know, um, scientific explanations for phenomena. That's why we have so many people in this world that are willing to take like pop psychology and crap like that, because they already accept the idea that like, okay, we can explain most weird phenomena that happen to us with psychology. And they're not really concerned about whether or not it is accurate or not, but it's a nice little explanation for things. And it fits well enough with the prevailing paradigm for them that they go with it. That being said, since we kind of got the, bigger question out of the way i think I'm, i'll go to the smaller one now um part of your um attempts to uh you know sort of bring a magical focus back into the world is you have a youtube channel and um yeah you know you i i, I highly suggest people go check that out because 
there's some interesting things on there. Um, but I the the question I want to ask is a little more um about the uh the reach that it's gotten because you um ended up a couple years ago now, maybe two, maybe less. Um, you got a kind of a sizable bump from a uh, critical finding your channel and kind of pumping a I bunch did. of those sort of things. And the, I, what I'm curious about that first off is how much of a positive impact did it have on, you know, your viewership and such. And the other thing is more of, um, the public perception of magic, you know, because uh, obviously critical is taking the piss out of you with it, you know, which is, but you know, that's what he does with whenever he's got anybody. But, um, do you feel like having, you know, well, I suppose, you know, a lot of people will say any, you know, any publicity is good publicity, but on the other side of it is, you know, is making this sort of thing, the fodder for mockery helpful to the, community and your project as a whole you think well it depends on how you react to it like if i was to get upset and of like you know made a response video like yelling and like making big drama thing out of it it could have easily been damaging to the reputation of the community or at least damaging to my reputation but first of all i actually it was kind of neat i got total forewarning that was going to happen I didn't know that's exactly what was going to happen, but I was uh, reading my rune slash sigil, sigil bag, like that we talked about, like the, we may talk about at some point. But in the reading, it showed this, I have a chicken foot in there, and it showed the chicken foot trying to take something away from me, but that it was going to make me grow. So the day I got that critical video, I was like, oh, that's what they were talking about. <laughs> So I was just like, yeah, this is going to be good. Awesome. And I laughed and laughed when I watched it. Honestly, I thought he was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I went and showed all my friends immediately. <laughs> they really loved the part where they accused my dog, of, where he accuses my dog of being a potato golem. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, we knew Cootie was a golem. <laughs> so. um, yeah, I, I, I got to say, um, you know, it, even as far as um your reaction to it like that you you're a you're you're a prime example of how you should take um criticism you know that's more well even criticism yeah. or mockery i suppose you were you were putting I, I i think i only even saw it because you were like hey everybody check this out it's fucking hilarious um yeah yeah but um, but yeah i mean again you know I, I i think there is something to be said about not reacting too heavily to um I I think in you know the political world's a good thing for that too because um it, a good um analogy to it too because you know anytime you get any major criticism or there's like a big story politically people make a big show of trying to react to it and it almost inevitably makes it worse because you know the minute you start denying things people start thinking you're guilty um so yeah. I think I think you went about it in probably the best possible way. You just kind of embraced it and were like, well, look, you know, people are talking about this and that's already better than what they were doing before. You know, think about if even like a third of the people that saw that video were like, well, Hey, you know, you know, maybe this is a little goofy, but maybe there's something to it. That's already, you know, helping a tremendous amount to kind of bring it back. Um, I think yeah. I, I, I definitely think that there's a certain cycle to 
esoteric and occult revival, at, at least as far as like culturally. Because, um, you know, back in the 70s, there was a pretty big occult revival and parts of the 90s had it too. And, you know, it's been about, you know, it's 2022 now. We're kind of due for it. And I, I, I think there is a lot of that culturally. I, I Tarot cards, for one, have been like, you know, it's that's always like the gateway drug to magic for a lot of people. Because oh, everyone yeah. already understands the concept in the most basic sense. And the minute you and what's great about tarot is that the minute you start looking at it, it just gives you more magical ideas and concepts and symbols. And you're like, well, I don't know what any of this means, so I guess I have to read more. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't think I, I put any stock into astrology when I first got into magic, but just from doing tarot and having to like understand uh, attri- attributions and stuff, I learned a significant amount of it and that led me to people like arthur young who have their own like wacky ideas about what astrology does um so because we already brought up uh divination i was curious um when you're talking about sigil based divination what what have you been doing lately what is that what's the what's the the thought process behind doing that sort of thing okay well it started out as a rune bag and I began casting my runes on a on a chart. And over time with sigils, like I, I tend to reuse my sigils. If I find a sigil that works for a certain intent, every time I have that intent, I'll pull out that same sigil and use it again because I feel it adds momentum to the meaning of the sigil. Right, right. And so... Uh, if you can hear that, that's my dog coming down the ramp. But um, anyways, uh, so as that goes on, I began using the, the sigil then begins to represent an intent to me. And so then once it represents that intent, that intent can very easily be turned around into a meaning. So oh, right, then that, right. room, that sigil gets added to the bag. Okay. And so now my root bag is like half is half successful sigils that have evolved now into I guess personal runes or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's um I I feel like that's something that once you've been doing magic long enough, it it almost inevitably happens, right? You start having your own systems and mythologies kind of being built. I talked a lot about with about this sort of thing with um Ben Beardsley the other day. The um the biggest hurdle when you first start doing magic, right, is that you don't have any confidence or even experience in your own personal craft. So much of it is just like learning about other things and applying them, right? And you know, as far as chaos magic is concerned, I'm not sure if it's a universal thing. I don't believe in universals, I suppose. But I know when I started, because I came from chaos magic, I came to chaos magic from Thalema. Um, a, a lot of it became just the idea of like, well, there aren't any real rules about any of this, so I can just kind of take what does work and amalgamate it together. But it wasn't until I had been doing it for a while that things like you know what you were talking about started popping up. You know, um specific symbols that don't have any outside context other than I either created them or found them and reinterpreted them in a way that um, doesn't quite resonate with the cultural consensus of it. What I'm really curious to ask you about is as far as um, 
your own personal practice um how how did it really come about after you got out of your you know you said you had to it was moving forward into out of the the older practices and traditions um so how did it what what really where did you have the moment where you're like oh crap i've i've been i've i've made my own system at this point or did it just sort of happen naturally and then you realize somewhere along the line of like oh wow i've i've kind of got a lot of my own ideas at this point that don't really have any source other than my experience well with how it's with how i first got into the whole thing like i said they were just making me learn on my own from the beginning so honestly i've always thought of my system as my own system there was never a time i mean like i've 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 got i've been under teachers before like i went and learned uh welsh cunning under well they called it wicca but really uh-huh. it was the, the coven was welsh was welsh cunning and i went under them for a while i've had other teachers but it's always kind of been my thing that i've that, that i'm following because that was the first thing interjected into me was you're the manitou and you're gonna have to figure out what that means <laughs> now go sit in this field and think <laughs> all right okay um well at this point in the interview we're doing what i'm starting to call questions from the nuts um a little bit of a you know uh playful insulting to the crowd here but i went around and collected some questions that people wanted to ask you um we touched on a couple of them before but um, I figured I'd, you know, give the community their due and ask them some, let them ask you some questions here. So first, um, I want to ask, how have you tried to expand your practice towards your own local community and area? There's, um, you know, again, you've, you clearly have a nice online presence, but as far as people in your area, do you have any desire or have you tried to reach out and, you know, build your own little magical circles just with people around you? Um, I have a few times. Uh, back in the day, I had a, I had amassed a pretty good clientele, and then I started wandering off. Ah. So, But that wasn't really teaching. That was just I had clientele, and then I wandered off to... Uh, oh, where did I go that time? Anyways, I wandered off. <laughs> and then I come back, and I've filled up clientele a few times. I have taught a few classes at uh, the Hidden Sage, which is a uh, which is a store here locally. Here in, it's like right here on the Clearfield Sunset border for those that are in this area. Um, other than that, I do want to start something, but I haven't found the ideal place to start it yet. I did also do some stuff in Ogden for a while, like we were doing guild meetings. But it kind of it was fun for a minute, but it. I think we weren't quite ready yet for, for for to have something in the local area. Sadly, the people that are uh, into chaos magic and that type of thing are it's a it's a wide network in the world, and there are very few of us here in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine. Um, I I guess curiously because we didn't touch on it so much earlier, but I'll ask you now. Um, you know, being a professional sorcerer, what 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 did the job actually entail really like you know clearly you're doing magic for people for money but like you know in general what what kind of things were you doing for people okay well especially when i had the really large clientele base i was actually 
mostly doing readings for rune readings. And what was interesting about that first time is uh, 90% of the people that came to me were getting ready to travel or getting ready to move. Hmm. So we actually got to the point where as soon as they sat down, I'd be like, so where are you going? <laughs> and that really made them come back because, I mean, almost every time. <laughs> and then... Um, Oh, I, I got a little sidetracked. What, what was the question I was answering again? Oh, I'm sorry. I was, well, I was, I was just asking what kind of things were you doing? Obviously doing readings. I think that's oh, probably, okay. that's so, definitely yeah, there's, somewhere where people start course, Yeah, that's Okay, I'm back on track now. So, of <laughs> course, and then I, I've done spell work for quite a few people. Um, lately, that has been my biggest thing, is doing spell work for people with uh, helping them get jobs. Some I've been involved in a few uh, helping with custody cases lately, that type of work is, I'm very selective about who I do it for. And, you know, I have to be reading and making, and then I always just cast the, the best thing for the child. Cause that's, that's an iffy area to be working with. Right. But, yeah. Um, that's a sensitive also, area. Yeah. I also do banishings and actually I was on, there's an episode of Hoarders. Oh yeah, I didn't touch on that with the Charlie bit because that came up too. Yeah, that's um definitely the most interesting episode of Hoarders I saw, so good job there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, another question. Um, someone wanted to, someone was asking about spirits and divinities and gods and such. And their their question was they wanted to know, how do you know when you have something real or when it's just like, you know, in your head essentially and that's a huh. interesting question i think for chaos magicians in general because a lot of us will just be like well you don't so who cares but um i was curious what you had to say about it well i mean ultimately it is rather hard to say what you are not speaking to but it's i mean ultimately it's hard to say the physical reality exists as anything but an illusion um that being said for me what it is is talking to myself the more you get to know what your own head sounds like the more you know when, when something is from the outside oh definitely. Uh, it's kind of been a developed skill over time but it helps talking to yourself will help you realize who you are in your head and then you can tell when something is coming from the outside you heard it here first folks tal says talk to yourself don't care if you're at target don't care at all all you got to do is just talk to yourself. It will help. You just ignore the looks. Um, no, yeah. but I, I actually completely like agree with that. Pulls it bare, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but I, I agree with that a lot. I think um, especially when I was um, first getting into magic and I was doing a lot of Goetia and things like that, that was one of the things that really kind of became, you know, kind of obvious to me too because it was just like, you know, I, I don't know about you folks, but I have a very, very – constant internal monologue going on in my head that I've spent years trying to shut off, but I have a pretty good idea of when I'm thinking something and when something is entirely outside, you know, you can, it definitely feels like an invasion at certain points when you, you know, if you're talking to demons and then you start getting particularly dark and twisted thoughts for a moment, it's even if it is just you meddling in your own head there, there's something to be said about, you know, what kind of outside effect the things you're doing can have on your internal and whether you want to argue that it's 
something deeper in your unconscious or something external is entirely up to you. But I definitely think there's a there's a certain level of knowing what your normal kind of thought patterns are as opposed to yeah. when you have something that might be affecting them in an interesting way. Um, and there's also, uh, that's another one where I feel like the maxim of let results be your guide is a uh, very useful guide in, in that particular case. Because if the spirit, if you ask it to do something and it's able to do things, then it's probably something from outside you if it's something you couldn't have done. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it's you know hard hard to argue with it if you're like, all right, well, if you're real, do this, and then something happens, right? You know, it's like, well, fuck. Exactly. Either I'm I'm way more, maybe I, either I'm way better at this than I thought I was, or there might be something else at play here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so someone wanted to know what working has had the most impact on your life. I think that's a really tough question for any of us to answer, especially because we don't have a of a particular great vantage point to look at the rest of our lives from. Right. But I, I was curious yeah. if you had an answer for that at all though. Um, well, actually that's a great question to bring up because I'm going to be push. I don't know if you've seen the posts about my defrag button, but I'm going to be pushing that later today. Oh, wow. So that might be the one. Oh God. <laughs> we'll see. Could be nothing. And could be nothing at all. Um, could you explain the defrag button? I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, there you go. Explain that for our, our audience that hasn't yeah. seen that. Cause I've seen it quite a bit and it's some of the most entertaining and interesting stuff I've read. So go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, my brain is a strange place, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so as a child, when I was little, we had computers that had the cassette drive. And they would literally, you have to literally sit there and listen to the ding, 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 you know, all the, the, the data noises. And so I had already learned to meditate. It was one of the very first things I was, I was taught as a child because, you know, it goes along with the whole thing of what they're trying to get me to do. So I meditated a computer into my brain like I would listen to that sound and imagine an interface being created in my brain for this computer um, and I feel like it helped a lot when I was a child helping me become more high-functioning a little less neurodivergent but um anyways as I got older it began to fade and I don't know at some point it just completely went away and then about six years ago, the first of these defrag buttons appeared, which like, you know, your old 90s computers, it was, the th it was a button you push so that it would defragment all the broken code in the computer and get it to start working better. And so last time I was quite nervous. I thought about it for a few days, but I meditated on the button and I pushed it. And some of that computer came back online. Like uh, one of the things that in particular that was the strongest is that it's actually like a square with a circle in it that will line up if I'm shooting a rifle with iron sights. Because that was one of the things that was very important to me when I was small was getting better with my 22. So now if I if I look into them sights, I can start. I still kind of see the square, but when I first pushed the button, it was like like on Sesame Street, you know, and like uh, Kermit draws the letter J. <laughs> just like superimposed and it's faded again now but the uh the buttons come back and with everything that happened with my uh dream scenario that we, that i did for may 5th of this year i think that is part of it because i realized 
Whilst I'm looking at this refrag button going, oh man, what is this going to do? What's going to happen this time? So um, I realized if I had a defrag button, which wasn't created till the 90s, even though, you know, like I created my computer in interface in like the early 80s, I decided that well, if I have a defrag button, I could have a help button. So I imagined a help button. I pushed it and I got Clippy. If you remember Clippy. Oh, Clippy. Clip. Yeah. Yeah. And he's all, you seem to be want, you seem to be trying to defrag your brain. Can I help? <laughs> and so I asked the Clippy what was going on. And he says that the defrag button is going to re-implement me back or implement. Sure. That's a good enough word. <laughs> right he's on. going to reintegrate me into the, the part of me that has gone been, been gone back into myself and so i'm assuming that means the dream me that went up for the went into uh, the cosmic collective and came back down on may on may 5th like at, well, that series of posts i don't know if you saw those the series of posts was having the dreams about leaving there and coming back here and then building the bridge back to our reality right yeah yeah i did see that yeah so I'm thinking it's going to make, I'm thinking I push that and it means those two parts merge more fully and it's finally a completion, the final completion of that process, or it'll just bring my computer back online. Either one should be cool though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we managed to get you beforehand because then now we can do a follow-up interview and be like, well, how'd the defragging go? Yeah. Yep. We'll see. I might be all structured and cohesive in, my, <laughs> in, in uh, the way i talk suddenly <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, well there's always a potential that you come back and you're like i i can't talk about it this is it it, it only made things more complicated yeah um, quite uh, possible yeah um let's see couple more questions here um someone wanted to know what were your five favorite magic books things that still have an impact on you today Five favorite magic books. That's actually kind of a hard question for me. Um, one would definitely be... I can't remember the author's name. I think it's right here. Let me grab it. <laughs> that's, how you know a real, that's how you know a real one, folks, when they're like, oh, no, I have the book with me. <laughs> yeah, it's a very simple one. I think a lot of us have read it. It's just The Book of Rooms by Ralph Blum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very simple, very basic, but it, it, um, I think he did a perfect job. He said exactly what needed to be said, what you need to, uh, begin that process to learn the runes. Um, other than that, let's see. Um, it's absurd, but the Illuminatus trilogy had a huge effect on how I, on how I cast my magic and how I do spell work. Oh, yeah, same, same. I, I read, um, I, I tell everyone reading Illuminatus itself is a huge initiation. Like if you, especially if you're coming at it with not having a whole lot of experience with, you know, the work of people like Robert Anton Wilson or any mm -hmm. like, you know, Crowley or any of these big formative people in chaos magic, like reading through that book will change how you look at the world. I mean, I remember when I, I read the entire thing over the course of like two days and my life went absolutely like haywire for the good week after that. Just going, Oh my God, I see it. It's all there. The Fenords, yeah. they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I see the Fenorch. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like an absurdist, surreal comedy book, but yeah, they slip a lot of reality into the, into all those jokes. It's amazing. I highly recommend that. Um, while I'm on, while I'm on that, another book that no, hardly anyone is going to recommend you for magic, but I think really helps one understand the idea of paradox and how different concepts um, conflict with each other is Nietzsche's Birth of Tragedy. Oh! I really feel the Apollonian and the Dionysian concept, the way he explains that. He may have been an atheist, but man, he said it perfect. I, you see, I would argue that I think um, Nietzsche is... Nietzsche's like one of the few people that... Like calling him an atheist because of the kind of cultural connection we have to the term atheist now isn't even accurate. I think Nietzsche's real goal was um, trying to bring back a sense of the sacred into the world. You know, I, I, like, you know, I think reading um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra is almost like required reading for people as a, as a magician at some point, because the entire, the entire idea behind um, the Ubermensch is a lot of what we're all striving for. It's a personal transformation that can actually affect change in the world. You know, the, the transvaluation of um, no, the, you know, tra- the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? I can't even remember the quote because I'm a fucking pseudo intellectual, but the, um, the, the entire restructuring of values and meaning in the modern world is half the battle of what we're trying to do with magic. I think, I, I don't think anyone ever got yeah. into magic that wasn't looking for meaning in some sort of sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, while we're on Zarathustra, I just want to say real quick that, um, well, actually just the rest the reason I brought up birth of tragedy first is it's a much easier read. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Which is ironic because Zarathustra is intended as a work of fiction. I mean, you know, we're still talking about the guy who has an entire three sections in his thing in his uh, work that's just like why I write such good books, why I'm so great, (laughs) (laughs) you know. So of course, even you know his work of like, oh man, this is gonna be nice and accessible. It's gonna be like a little parable for people, and then people are just gonna be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, and it's his densest work, in my opinion. I mean, it's great, and I totally agree with what you were saying. But in order to really get it, I feel like after you've read Thus Spake Zarathustra, you should turn around and read Stranger in a Strange Land. Ah, another great classic. Yeah, Heinlein. Heinlein is someone that doesn't get enough um, praise in the the magic community, because that's someone, so much of um, his individualism is really key to um a lot of what chaos magic is now um you know i i think that i think he kind of gets a bad rap because he's forever associated with like randy and libertarians and stuff and not unjustly either but but you know it's um i think it's sort of like crowley too in the sense of like a lot of um a lot of what crowley um was getting at has a lot of value but you have to kind of temper it a little bit so you don't end up like yeah you know being a freaking pseudo fascist or something um yeah yeah that's a good comparison because they both have good stuff that they've wrote and then hack jobs 
because Heinlein, you know, you've got um, Stranger in a Strange Land or Job and books like that that he's wrote that are amazing and just really in-depth, great works. And then you've got like Have Space Suit Will Travel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, depends on what he was writing that week. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, guys got to eat too, you know. Yep. Um, all right. Well, let's see if we have any more questions from people. And oh yeah, and the the easiest question: um, What'd you have for breakfast? Someone wants to know. Oh, I'll give the same answer I did on the post. I usually smoke my breakfast. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to have you say it to everybody. <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been a great this has been a great talk. I'm really appreciate having you on. Um, is there anything you want to plug right now in this little area here? You know, people obviously can find you on Facebook in the Sorcerer's Guild, but anything else you want to put out there? Um, well, you mentioned the book. You mentioned my YouTube. My, it's uh, just youtube.com slash C slash Sorcerer Tal to get right to my uh, channel. Um, I will be bringing... Oh, I have a fiction work Oh, as well called Anarchy's Last Stand. It's a collection of short stories, poems, and then a couple essays that are a little more spiritual in nature as opposed to magical. So I didn't feel they belonged in the uh, in the Sorcerer's Shadow. And that is available on Amazon. It's the Anarchy's Last Stand, and that's by Sorcerer Tal as well. Right. Awesome. And of course, the um, the book we've been talking about was uh, The Sorcerer's Shadow, Volume 1. It's published under the Sorcerer's Guild, but you can find it on Amazon as well. And um, of course, there'll be links to Tal's YouTube and the two books there um, in all the information there. You know, um, I'm almost disappointed that we're ending the conversation because we didn't even get to talk about um, anarchism because I know you and I had a conversation earlier where um, we were just discussing your connections through, um, I believe you said it was your grandfather um, with the labor movement. And I think there's a really nice intersection of the political with magic, especially when it comes to anarchism. So we'll have to save that for another talk though. That, that I know we'll have a lot to say about that. We'll be here for another hour and a half. So, Oh yeah. So with that, I look forward to that though. Oh yeah. Oh, well don't worry. We'll definitely have you back. You know, um, so again, uh, thank you, Sorcerer Tal, for being on. It was really great. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been Chaos Magic News. Again, the only uh, media outlet that's officially sanctioned by the Secret Chiefs. As always, if you and your bedroom alchemy experiments have gotten the Philosopher's Stone, please use it to transmute Kanye West into solid gold for the benefit of humanity as a whole. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at Chaos Magic News. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Chaos Magic News. And Tal, would you like the last word? Oh, man, you got me laughing too hard. Oh. <laughs> Don't encourage me. It'll be bad. Right blessings and an interesting fate. Yeah. All right. As I always back on my channel. Sweet, sweet. Well, again, thanks for having us on. We will see you guys next time. What you say? Well, I was telling you about my doggy door thing here. It's actually kind of a trip. I'm in uh, there's the window and. It's-
the dog comes in through the window and she's got like a ramp she comes down and then another ramp she comes down which is why i was concerned about it because it makes some noise when she comes in <laughs>